Welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across the UK and Ireland, brought to you by Insurance Business. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of IB Talk, the insurance industry podcast brought to you by Insurance Business. My name is Mia Wallace and I am Senior News Editor at Insurance Business UK. And today we're going to be delving into the risk and insurance impact of today's macroeconomic issues on financial institutions. To help us navigate this critical topic, I'm delighted to be joined by Walid Youssef, Head of Financial Institutions for the UK and Ireland at Travellers Europe, and Chris Muir, Senior Development Underwriter at Travellers Europe. Many thanks to you both for joining me here today. Pleasure, Mia. Thanks for having me. Yeah, delighted to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, my pleasure. And to start us off, it would be great to get a bit of an overview of the macroeconomic factors at play in the UK at this time. Maybe starting from your perspective there, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mia. I think unless you've been living in a cave for the past 12 months, it's impossible to avoid the seemingly constant updates on the UK economy. And unfortunately, most of it is doom and gloom. The cost of living crisis is dominating news headlines and indeed people's actual lives at the moment. Uh, there's there's two main components that are contributing to this situation. Firstly, rising inflation. It came out yesterday that UK inflation is now sitting at 11.1%, which is the highest rate it's been in 45 years. And analysts are forecasting that this will continue um, well into 2023. What this means in reality is the cost of almost everything is significantly higher than it was at the same time last year, from energy costs to, to everyday groceries. I'm sure most people are well aware that their energy bills are up well over 50% in the past 12 months, but they might not be so aware that the, bo- the same sort of increase has been applied to the cost of a bottle of Heinz tomato ketchup. Now, with um, average wages only rising by f- 5.7% in the same period, people are really finding their spending power significantly reduced. The other main factor we're seeing around the, the economy at the moment is rising interest rates. The Bank of England has been steadily increasing interest rates over the past year to try and combat this um, high level of inflation with their target to keep that at 2%. But these uh, increases in interest rates have led to other challenges and impacts on the economic environment. The Bank of England increased interest rates at the start of November to 3%. um, And when you compare this to where we were a year ago at 0.1%, which was an all-time low, this is a a significant jump. Now, the impact on consumers here is significant, and it mainly impacts on, on most people's largest outgoing, which is their mortgage payments. We're seeing people who are on a variable or tracker rate mortgage or those that are coming out of a fixed deal seeing really significant impacts on their their monthly repayments. The latest statistic I saw was the the increase in average repayments is is now over £5,000 per year increase, which which is a huge hit on people's budgets. Uh, And it's not just mortgage rates that are impacted by these rising interest rates. It'll apply to to any kind of flexible credit from car finance to, to credit cards. Now, there is one positive side of this, that these rising interest rates will also be applied by banks to to consumer savings accounts. So those that have got 
money sitting in a, a savings account are now starting to see an increase in the, the returns that they're providing on them. So there, there is a little bit of light in the, the doom and gloom story. And just to uh, to add to that, Chris, because it's a really good summary. I mean, from a from a corporate perspective as well, lots of uh, corporations and businesses alike, um, especially over the last couple of years with the um, the difficulties of uh, businesses have faced during times of uh, of the COVID nineteen pandemic, um, have had to load their balance sheets up with um, with with pretty significant debt. Now, a lot of that is um, coming for refinancing or or perhaps even pre-pandemic, they, they, you know, some of the, the debt that they had raised is now coming up for, for refinancing and, and ultimately with interest rates uh, that have increased um, over the past 12 months, um, that's going to have a pretty significant hit to their capital expenditure. Um, uh, and for these businesses to remain a going concern. So so certainly uh, a bit of a dark cloud looming over the debt markets, both from a, you know, from a corporate perspective, just as much as, um, as, as everyday living. Absolutely. And you've both shared some really stark insights into what is happening and what is at play across the market at the moment. And also from the overview you've given, the interplay of these factors is very clear. But from the perspective of your clients and brokers, what are the most pressing concerns that they're voicing at the moment, Arnold? So, um, yeah, a couple of interesting points on this. So uh, from some of the the clients um, and brokers that we have been uh, having very in-depth discussions with on these these points, um, if you look at it from an asset management perspective to begin with, um, those strategies that let's just say have been in vogue over the past sort of five or so years um, and have generated some really strong returns um, for for investors such as growth stocks specifically in the tech space for argument's sake these um, strategies are really starting to um, to, to take a bit of a hit um, both in terms of performance and investors seeking more um, conservative strategies as their risk tolerances change during the, this kind of environment that we find ourselves from a macroeconomic perspective. Um, asset managers making sure that they s- still retain uh, their investor base as well as um, attracting new investment and you know also making sure that they are generating decent enough returns for them to um, to continue on the, the an upward trend from a revenue perspective, I think these the, these are factors that they are really focusing on, and we've seen certain clients and their peers in the market take some considerable hits, both in terms of performance and investor outflow. So it's it's certainly something that is being addressed, and how they navigate those waters will be really interesting over the over, over the coming months and um, and possibly years if you uh, if you listen to the OBR forecast in terms of when the green shoots of recovery will will spring up um, from a non asset management basis i think one of the major factors is that capital expenditure piece which i go back to from my original comments around um, corporate debt and what have you um, i mean when you're looking at rising capex due to um, factors 
that we've already mentioned, combined with the recession that we're currently ongoing. And again, the OBR have just announced that they believe by definition that we are in, in, in a recession and this could be a potential lengthy one. The impact that that's going to have on, on the revenue uh, and, and the drops that businesses will will potentially see as a result of reduced spending power, as Chris mentioned there, as well as increased capital expenditure. It's kind of a perfect storm there. So I think those are two real key focuses um, from from different industry classes that that we're seeing being top of top of the agenda. And I think one of the other areas as well that we're seeing rising costs is caused by supply chain issues across a, a whole range of industries. It's not a new problem. It's one that's probably developed over a number of years, starting with Brexit, which caused labour shortages in hospitality sector, issues for manufacturing sector due to additional checks on goods coming in from the continent. We then obviously entered an era of, of COVID-19 lockdowns, which had a, a huge impact on on global supply chains with restriction on the the movement of freight and goods and also strict lockdowns in the, the manufacturing heartlands of China, meaning there were significant delays of, of goods and um, and component parts. And then finally, um, due to the global unforeseen disruptions on major suppliers of commodities, we're seeing huge spikes in the prices of resources such as wheat and, and natural gas. And these are really driving up the costs of for all sectors, really. And it's interesting you say that because it's quite clear that these challenges are quite sector agnostic, I suppose, is maybe the, the way to put that. But financial institutions are really at the coalface when it comes to navigating macroeconomic pressures. And I wonder, what are some of the main knock-on effects that you're seeing these have on, on banks, on insurance companies and on asset managers? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a really interesting time in the, the financial institution space. With this level of volatility in the market, it, it makes life difficult for, for everyone, really. Um, just to focus on asset managers initially, as, as well as already touched upon, um, stock markets were basically rising since 2009 until, until the last 12 months, and therefore asset managers have been able to, to invest in fairly straightforward strategies taking a, a huge chunk of, of interest in the you know core stocks in the, the US tech market, such as Apple, Google, Microsoft. But these have all dropped over the past 12 months, which is really pushing asset managers to, to look harder at their strategies and, and get a bit more creative in the way that they manage their funds. The, the other issue for them as well is, is probably increased investor expectations. We, as I say, markets have been rising since since 2009 and and people have got used to seeing significant if not double digit returns each and every year it, it's very difficult to pare back those investor expectations over a, a short period of time um liquidity management is a, is another area of focus for investment manager that is at this point in time with investors looking to pull out of riskier strategies and move into safer havens to weather the, the stormy markets, managers need to ensure that they have enough liquid assets to meet these redemption requests. This is probably most starkly illustrated by the, the movement in October where there was a potentially significant issue for pension funds who were involved in liability-driven investment strategies. The government's 
fiscal statement or mini budget, as they they called it, really drove up interest rates at the same time as it had an impact on lowering the prices of UK government bonds. Now, those managers and pension funds who had that were involved in interest rate swaps were facing calls from their investment banks to to put up additional collateral to meet um, the requirements on these swaps. Now, the only way for these pension funds to to provide themselves with additional collateral was to sell their liquid assets, which unfortunately were their bond holdings, which were dropping at this time. And with a significant chunk of the market looking to sell further bonds, that we were faced really with a perfect storm here of falling bond prices with a need for people to sell these bonds. And if it wasn't for the, the Bank of England stepping in here to with their bond buying, bond buying program, which managed to calm the markets, we could have seen a really significant issue in the pension market. And one of the other areas we see a lot of is, is private equity managers. Now, whilst they're, we're definitely seeing significant amounts of, of funds in this sector and a lot of dry powder for deals to be made, at the moment, these managers are really focusing on looking after their current portfolio. There's some challenging times in, in a lot of the underlying portfolio companies. And and rather than looking at doing new deals, there's a, an element of consolidation and, and really trying to get these portfolio companies ready for any challenging times in the next 12 months. Um, we're also seeing those funds that are utilising leverage to finance some of their investments are finding a, that the repayments on existing deals are are getting more expensive and therefore cutting into the returns they can provide to investors. But it's also pricing them out of future deals because of the cost of the underlying debt is increasing and therefore, again, will reduce the, the value of future returns for them. And another issue we're, we're seeing probably specific to, to UK-based investment managers is that the US dollar is at a really strong position at the moment compared to the pound. And, and this is looking... This is causing those looking at acquisitions in the US to to see the cost of these deals probably increasing by 10 to 15 percent compared to where they were perhaps 12 months ago. And it it's making it easier for US managers to, to get these deals done rather than UK managers. But on the flip side, rather than looking at doom and gloom the whole way through, those that have invested in UK US companies and holding those US companies are seeing the valuations of these companies rise in in uh, sterling terms. Some really great points there. Um, I mean, I think just just to add a little bit to the private equity uh, leverage side, I mean, yeah, the, the, those large mega leverage buyout um, private equity houses, I think they're the ones that potentially will have um, uh, to, to think twice around uh, the deals, future deals that are that are potentially going to be made, uh, and perhaps this might start driving valuations downwards. So, so I guess that does then have a knock-on effect. That if you've got other PE houses holding the investment originally and looking to to uh, to dispose of those assets to some of these larger larger houses, that the valuations will will be revised downwards as a result of of the pressure on. Uh, on debt, because I mean, you know, ultimately we've we've been in an age where it's 
it's been so favorable to use leverage as opposed to um opposed to your own capital or dry powder from a fund so 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 it's certainly very interesting times from that perspective but just shifting across to to the banking world and and, and as chris said very mindful that we painting potentially a picture here of complete doom and gloom i mean from a from a bank perspective i mean higher interest rates does mean stronger yields so so actually um you know the 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 medium to longer term picture could potentially be quite quite bright for 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 the banks um however you know we do need to be cognizant of the fact that with higher interest rates especially as chris mentioned earlier variable rate tracker mortgages um flexible lending terms in terms of credit cards and uh, and loans and such forth um can mean uh, larger numbers of non-performing loans within the portfolio. So it's really trying to strike a balance, I think, with from a banking perspective of um, yielding greater returns through um, the, the products that are being offered because they are now higher interest rates um, uh, that, that we're seeing, but also managing that um, through the portfolio to ensure that they're books are working quite well and and are stable there um from an insurance company perspective i mean increased costs across the piece i think is a real impact on insurers um so everything from staffing costs to real estate um right the way through to claims inflation um you know it's it's ultimately the cost of doing business that is is squeezing margins on 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 insurers and uh, when we get into times of volatility generally that's when you see heightened claims um and, and and of course you know that's that goes without all of the potential catastrophe losses through natural disasters and what have you and you know with the the environment being the way that it is um that can ultimately bring um increased numbers of claims from 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 that perspective so so insurers are um i guess at uh the forefront of a of a potential squeeze in in margins moving forward and you can really see how the impact of these rising costs is feeding through all across the financial institution space i wonder from your perspective how are these factors feeding through to claims and notifications there hasn't been uh any particular uh frequency or severity trends thus far however uh, claims in which we would expect to see, especially if you looked, say, for example, the asset management industry itself, um, higher volatility means larger volumes of trades. Um, and with larger volumes of trades, generally, you would re expect to see uh, heightened um, trade errors um, f as a result of that, which means cost of corrections claims from a professional indemnity um, coverage perspective would be seen. Um, and then, you know, also, as Chris rightly mentioned, you know, the concerns around liquidity and making sure that redemptions are being being able to be met and uh, and what have you can ultimately rise or give greater rise uh, to uh, insolvency related issues. Um, and that's not just limited to the asset management space. If you're looking at the private equity space, for example, you know, businesses that have been um leveraged up considerably um and 
if they do have that capex squeeze and the revenue is also um, stressed, then that can also have a, an impact on 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 the solvency of those businesses. So, so there's a number of different factors there from a DNO and a PI perspective that we are keeping watchful eye on. Uh, but as of yet, thankfully, those trends have not yet emerged. And it's probably worth as well saying, uh, while it's great points you've made there, but some of the other areas we've historically seen claims rise in terms of economic turmoil as well is, is around the crime cover that we give. That there's often an increased motivation, especially for employee-driven frauds in in times of crisis. People are struggling to to make ends meet, which can lead them to take desperate measures and, and potentially see value in stealing from their employers. This can also sometimes be more easily facilitated when businesses are looking at cutting back at that capex level. Often the, the first areas to, to see cutbacks are those that don't bring any income to the company. So think of areas such as compliance and internal audit. If cuts are made in these areas, it, it often makes it easier for frauds to be perpetrated or or certainly less likely that they will be discovered. Um, on the converse side to that, that we actually find a lot of long-running frauds are discovered in, in times of, of economic hardship. Those that are running businesses will, will look at every cost and outgoing of the business, every penny's a prisoner at this stage. And it's often then that potential elements of, of skimming off the top line or or expense fraud are discovered at, at this time, um, which is a in really interesting time. Um, one of the other areas as well that we tend to see an uptick in claims in a recession is in regards to employment practices, liability. When businesses are looking to cut costs, they will quite often look at headcount and look to make redundancies to reduce their headcount and their, their wage expenses. Now, there, there's very strict laws in place in the UK to, to govern how these procedures are undertaken, which includes undertaking a collective consultancy and using a fair rating matrix as to how individuals are selected for redundancy. Failure to follow these procedures can lead to unfair dismissal claims, which can get quite expensive and if you failed to follow the procedures for one employee there's a significant chance you may have failed to follow the procedures for for all employees and therefore you can get a claim from a, a large number of um, disgruntled employees that you've made redundant unfortunately. What's really clear from what you're saying there Chris is that this is a time for businesses to have to balance so many different risks and market conditions simultaneously so are there any key ways that Travellers Europe is working to support its clients through this tumultuous risk environment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a very important phrase here is, is claims is the product. And what I mean by that is when people are buying an insurance policy from travellers, they're not paying to have a, a nice bit of paper with a, a traveller stamp on it that says that they've got insurance cover. They're paying it for the claim service they'll receive if they do end up in the unfortunate situation whereby they have a claim. Um, we're very proud of the, the claim service we get we give here at Travellers. We've got a very experienced and dedicated team that will handle these matters. I would expect that around 90% of our policyholders, if not more, have never actually had the experience of dealing with an insurance claim. And this can be a really worrying time for our policyholders, especially if the claim makes allegations against them personally. And it's just something else they don't need to deal with in these kind of uncertain economic times. 
The good news for them is that this is exactly what our claims team do as their day job. They deal with claims on a, a daily basis and have done for a number of years. Our claims team can take over the running of a claims matter to ensure that it's handled as smoothly and efficiently efficiently as possible. This really has dual benefits for our policyholder. Firstly, it allows the, the directors and the principals to get focus on their day job, which is what they're good at and which is what allows them to, to make money for themselves and for their clients. Um, but it, we, we can also sort of ensure that a claim doesn't drag on. It means that it can it can get the claim settled as soon as possible and, and get the matter off everyone's desk. But it can also prevent um, a claim dragging on and leaking out into the public domain, therefore keeping any reputational damage to our policyholders to a minimum. Fantastic. And would you have anything to add to that one? Well, I think Chris has done a fantastic job there of uh, of emphasising how, uh, how our claims capabilities um, can really support and help our insurers, which is exactly the reason why um, the, the the cover is is there for. And you know, uh, I think you you never truly see the value of your insurance policy until you re you really need it. The only uh, other thing that I would probably add, um, just as a unique selling point to uh, to the travellers claims offering, is that all our claims um, professionals are trained uh, solicitors. Uh, who are able to really navigate the the legal environment both here in the UK and uh, and overseas. So um, so so yeah. I mean, that's that is um, a, a very strong uh, offering. It's something that we're very proud of here, and um, and and will continue to support and uh, our insureds um, as and when the the need arises. You can really see the value proposition that Travellers Europe does offer its insurance. But I wonder from your perspective, how critical is it for you and your teams to actively work with your broker partners so that clients can receive access to the full range of services and products available to them? Yeah, so I mean, I think it couldn't be more prevalent, especially over the last couple of years as well. I think our relationships with our broking partners have never been stronger um, and we will continue to to, to pursue um, uh, those relationships in the same vein that we have done um, during during such difficult times with 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 COVID. And and as we've alluded to during this podcast, I don't really think that things are um we're not quite out of the woods as yet uh, let's put it like that so uh, engaging with our broking partners and our insureds as early as possible during a renewal process is i think of fundamental importance um just really making sure that we um we understand their business the exposures inherent in in their business and um making sure that we have that platform available across both the broker and the insured for them to to fully understand uh the decisions that we make um as under as an underwriting team to um to to the policy terms conditions and an ultimate premium charged as well um and i think having that constant dialogue which is is certainly in situ uh, across all of our broking partners um really helps sort of manage the conversations and ensure that the products and the solutions that we are offering are tailored 
to to fit the needs of of a very varied client base i think um financial institutions is is so broad so varied with so many different insurers requiring requiring very different solutions so um that engagement with with our key broking partners is is fundamental to our success absolutely and i love that idea of a fully formed tripartite relationship founded on mutual understanding and dialogue. And is that what you see from your interactions with clients and brokers as well, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. As uh, Wilde mentioned, we deal with such a, a varied range of, of clients. It's it's great to get out and, and meet our clients face-to-face and, and understand both their business as a whole and exactly what they're doing, but it also gives us a, a wider understanding of the, the sector they're involved in as well. It, which is really great and helps us formulate insurance solutions that are are tailored to them and, and provide them with the cover that they they really need. Um, I really would say that getting out and meeting our clients is is probably my favourite part of the job. Um, not only do I get to understand what they do, but I also get to see the passion for their their own business that our policyholders have. So it's it, it's really interesting and and fun to get out and meet our clients. And it's so clear from speaking with both of you that dialogue and conversation is really at the heart of what you and your teams do across the financial institution space. So for brokers who would like to get in touch to learn a little bit more about travellers' offerings and the work that you and your teams do, what's the best way to get in touch, Juan? So absolutely. Um, Feel free to visit the Travellers Financial Institutions website. You'll be able to download um, a pretty comprehensive pack outlining our uh, claims capabilities, which we've mentioned uh, today, uh, Our uh, an in-depth summary of our appetite um, and the, the risks that are within our to- our own risk tolerances, as well as um, details for for all the members of the financial institutions team, uh, which are based here in London, uh, in Glasgow, uh, Manchester, and in Dublin. Brilliant! And warm thanks to both of you for providing such a comprehensive overview of what's happening in the financial institution space. I've really enjoyed our conversation, and thank you so much for joining me here on IB Talk. No, thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for having us, Mia. Absolutely my pleasure. And thanks also to everybody for tuning in. And I look forward to welcoming you next time here on IB Talk. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on Podbean. You can also tune in on your favourite listening channel. Follow IB Talk on Spotify, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts.